as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Answer the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. T minus 15, legal anatomy of current events. SC ready and green to go. T minus 14, FOS ready, green to go. T minus 12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events, green to go. T minus 10, internal power, green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. Five, four, commit for launch. Green, three, two, one. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events, all for you. Now, on the air, target locked. Good morning, America. Here we go. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. And today, legal anatomy of current events. We bring it to you every week to give you a legal analysis and legal breakdown of current events in our country. We're glad to do it. We try to make it interesting and fascinating. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at info at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. You can email us there. You can give us suggestions. You can request subjects that we'll cover for you. We're glad you're here with us. Today's subject can administrative agencies legally control your life? Do we have to do what they say we have to do? Pick out an administrative agency in the country, anyone, you know? A favorite one people pick on is the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. What about the FDA? Where do these people come from? And think about this for a second. Think about this. We have Congress, right? We all know this. We have the courts, right? We have the executive branch. So we got three co-equal branches of government. Where do these administrators, if you're a director of an agency, where do you fit into this picture? How is this legal in our country? And they make rules and regulations, and we hear about them all the time. And as you know, this is a nonpartisan show. We don't take political sides here. We just break it down for you legally where you can make up your own mind on the subject that we're talking about. We try to give you the ammunition, the education. You know, we've said in our law firm for years that we educate and advocate and if you ever wanted to see our website, it's championsofthepeople.com. That's who we are, championsofthepeople.com. But this show is for you to give you a legal anal analysis of current events. So, Brad, in general, 
I mean, who are these people? Where do they come from? Are they part of the executive branch? Are they part of the Congress? Are they part of the courts? What are we looking at? It, administrative agencies are amazing to me, to be honest with you, because it, it shows the wisdom of the framers of our Constitution. Uh, the Constitution grants Congress the power through the Necessary and Proper Clause, which allows Congress to create laws that are its necessary and proper to carrying out its enumerated powers. Now, people might think, well, that, that sounds like a pretty simple thing. But uh, when you had these, these people sitting around the table and trying to put together the Constitution, you got to remember how many years ago it was and all the different things they had to consider and all the different nuances and aspects of government. You can tell that a number of them must have and had to have had experience with these type of matters. And, uh, you know, you start, start saying, okay, you had experience with putting together a way to run a country to govern a country, and they had the foresight to to sit down and say, okay, we have uh, Congress, the, and it has the powers through, uh, the, the, through a necessary and proper clause, enabling statutes is what we call them. They put together an enabling statute and, a, and a, a necessary and proper clause to allow Congress to create laws that are necessary and proper to carry out the enumerated powers that Congress has. And, to, you know, you start going, it, it, it was an amazing foresight to put together administrative agency. Now we may hate them, so that, you know. And the the part about it is is that you can take any one of the administrative agencies you mentioned, Gary, at the beginning. Then we can go over more. And on any given day, I hate them, and any given day, I love them. You know, yeah, I've heard comments from all, all sides, and we're not a political show, as you know. But I've heard comments from people that say, you know, if I'm going to get on an airplane and fly, I kind of would like some regulation there. I'd like some regulation over that plane, the maintenance of the plane, who's going to fly it, who's going to be qualified, etc. I'd like some security at my airports. And then the other side of the coin is I don't like all these regulations. It's all red tape. We don't want it. So once again, we don't get into the political side here. We just get into the pure law. And we're trying to figure out who these people are. Are they even legal? I mean, when you go to the airport and you get screened, and you have to go through the screening process, and you get searched. You know, in the old days, there was a Fourth Amendment against illegal searches and seizures, but that's been waived for that process. And, and so are these people legal, and where do they get their legal authority? One more time, think about this. Think about this. Executive branch of the government. government. Are they from the executive branch? All these regulators. The judiciary. From the judiciary, right? Congressional. Are they from Congress? So Brad just told you. The key words here today in today's podcast are enabling statute. That's legal terms. That's lawyer talk, right? Enabling statute. That's what we call it. What's the enabling statute of this? What's the enabling statute of that? What's the enabling statute of the FDA? What's the enabling statute of the Department of Transportation? Okay? So then you go look at that. And then the necessary and proper clause. Brad, let's talk about that a little bit because you know a lot about history. You know, you know a lot about government and all that sort of thing. But So the Constitution says whatever uh, is necessary and proper, it's, it's called in, in legal lingo, it's called the necessary and proper clause. But they can pass and create laws that are necessary and proper for carrying out its enumerated purposes. But how does that translate over to an agency? How does that translate over to, you know, like the Food and Drug Administration and the labels people put on foods and whether or not we have beef from America? And come on, it goes on and on. How does that translate? Well, so you start, you start getting an idea of what we mean by uh, a, a very uh, nebulous concept that has very specific standards that come down to concrete uh, ideas. 
and concrete action. Uh, so you, you've got this uh, in, in, in enumerated powers of Congress. Uh, so when they put together the Constitution, they had certain enumerated powers. And in Congress, those enumerated powers uh, can now be identified to stretch into a number of different uh, areas. And you, you hit on some of them, Gary, but, you know, food, food and drug safety, workplace safety, environmental protection, transportation, social welfare. Uh, when you had, back when the Constitution was being put together, you didn't have too many people worried about the railroad. You didn't have too many people worried about a Department of Transportation to oversee the safety and, and efficiency and efficacy of, of, our, of our transportation system. And I don't think we had too many people screening airports, really. No, we didn't have very many people. We didn't people have the right brothers, it. right? And you didn't have a whole lot of concern about workplace safety back then. But as, as times evolved and as our, our society evolved, our Constitution had the necessary powers within it to address uh, the, 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 the rights for Congress to put together these necessary and proper laws or agencies to carry out the necessary and proper requirements of the Constitution. These people control our lives. They issue rules and regulations. We have to comply with them or we get investigated or we get fined or we get taken to court. And who are these people? So think about this. Think about this. As we said, the power to create administrative agencies, the power was given to Congress in the Constitution of the United States. You say, okay, Gary, Brad, this is getting kind of boring, the Constitution. I've got it, right, the Constitution. And the Constitution, the United States Constitution, grants Congress the power through the necessary and proper clause. They can do what's necessary and proper. Necessary and proper. And don't you think necessary and proper has changed, morphed over the years into what it used to be to something else? But think about one more thing. Congress creates the agency, and Brad, who appoints the head of these agencies. There you go. So you find that interesting because you say Congress creates them. And, you know, remember, these agencies are mainly put together to, to enumerate laws or rules by which the different people within the food and drug safety, for instance, or within the workplace safety, what they have to follow. So, you know, they're, they're going to pass laws. The, the, the agency is going to pass laws. And now you've got Congress, they're, they're passing the buck, so to speak. They're, they're saying, you're the experts. We're going to oversee, it's still subject to our approval, but we're going to say you go ahead and, and pass the laws to, to affect workplace safety. And then they say, but um, that's going to come from the head down, of course. And the person who's going to pick the head of the agency is the president. It's going to be the, executive, the executive, branch. executive branch. So now all of a sudden you've got the executive branch playing a hand in how the laws are made. Well, is, the, is that what the executive branch is supposed to do, make laws? Well, yeah. yeah. And so, so the, then they appoint the head, then the, the head of the agency, any agency you want to name, just name one, right? We got a lot of them. Just pick your favorite or unfavorite. And that head of that agency can pass rules. And so today we're going to tell you, can you do anything about this? I mean, what's your participation? What's your remedy? What can you do about it? Do you have a voice in this or you just have to take it? No, you have a voice. And we're going to explain to you exactly how it does. But these agencies, critical word, rulemaking, they make rules, the critical word, because they have to have a rulemaking process. And in the beginning, it was just kind of helter-skelter. But I want you to consider another point. Everybody's seen the movie Top Gun, right? We've all seen it. And, they, you know, in the original movie, when Goose and, and Maverick had the, had the accident and they had to eject, and then Goose was killed, right? Where was the hearing held 
to put Maverick back in the sky. That was a military board. In essence, it's a rulemaking board. And so some specialties need the, need the agency. I mean, can you imagine Congress, and maybe they do it through the oversight, but can you imagine Congress having a hearing on whether there was enough yaw or expected yaw or unexpected yaw so Maverick couldn't control it, so therefore his license to fly jet fighters was not revoked or suspended. He was put back in the air. That would be a technical board. So that's the purpose, the necessary and proper clause, Brad. But still, the point is that the president appoints the people over the agency. Every president does. It doesn't matter what side you're on. And then they control, and then they make rules and regulations. And then they go out and make rules and regulations. So the president's picking who's going to make the rules and regulations. I thought that was for the, for the, um, for the citizens to do. I thought that was for us to identify our congressmen and the people we wanted in the legislative branch to go out and make laws. And, and, and you know, let's go a little further because to an extent, not to a full extent, but to an extent, many of these agencies also have uh, within them the power to enforce those laws. And therefore, to one extent or another, they may be treading into the judicial branch. So you've got these little mini agencies that are little, um, that are specialized in nature, and they can go out and they can get the president to appoint them. The legislature has made them available, as has said, has formed them. And then you've got them a lot of times being the uh, judge and jury when it comes time to enforcing the violation of those rules. So, you know, we did a show recently on the legal analysis of the Colorado River, and we covered that that was covered and governed by the Department of Interior, which is an interior department, and the head of the Department of Interior, like other agencies, is appointed by the President of the United States. But the Department of Interior is created under the necessary and proper clause. It's necessary and proper. So you go back to the enabling statute. If you want to know what power these people have over your water, your air, your food, your drugs, right? If you want to know what power, you go back to the enabling statute. And if they pass a rule, we're going to get to it in a minute. If they pass a rule that you don't like, can you do anything about it? If they pass a rule that exceeds their authority under the enabling statute, that's one way that you can do something about it. And so that you have to look at that. And it becomes quite an intricate, involved process. But Brad, the executive branch of the government has oversight, ability, and power over agencies. The congressional branch of the government has the same thing and the judicial branch has the has the same thing because they may be interpreting whether a rule passed by the epa for example is even constitutional meaning it did it come within the powers granted by the enabling statute so that's how that's who these people are well on a given morning you can turn on the tv somewhere and you can see where uh congress has required somebody from one of these agencies to come before it and testify and give statements concerning certain of their rules or certain of their actions or certain of the, of the process that they're requiring to be followed or, or, or why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, and, and they want to know what's happening because these agencies have to be, uh, uh, have to be looked over. Somebody has got to figure out what to do with them um, and figure out what they're going to do with the different agencies and make sure they stay within the realm of where they're supposed to stay. Cause it's not unbridled power. It's power that obviously can be controlled by the president by simply changing the leader, 
president has a, the ability to fire you too and, and right. bring in somebody new. It, it can be controlled by Congress who can, who can subpoena you to uh, questioning and to finding out what you're doing and if you're doing it appropriately or if you're following the, the laws or, or, the, or the, the framework of our Constitution. And it can be also controlled by um, our courts if somebody decides that we think they think what the agency is doing is violates uh, the, the laws of our country and therefore bring them before the courts. Right. So it can become an intricate, involved process, like we're saying. But, um, you know, and at the end of the show, as we do every week, I want you to, to be aware that we're going to have our idiom, American idiom of the day. We always like to have a little fun at the end of our podcast. And also we're going to have our quote of the day at the end of our show. We also like to do that. But we want to teach you today what you can do about this and what you can do about these rules and what you can do about the regulations and what's the basis to do it. First, a little history. Okay. So when this was all started with the Constitution, there weren't all these agencies. The Congress had the ability to appoint what was necessary and proper. Now, one of the earliest examples of the Congress's use of these agencies was the Interstate Commerce Commission, and it was created in 1887. Think about that a minute, 1887, to regulate railroads, not airplanes, weather airplanes, to regulate railroads. And then it just grows from there. And in the beginning, there was just a hodgepodge of how are we going to control these agencies? What are we going to do? So then, Brad, we get to finally, Congress says, we need to have a uniform set of rules on how we are going to control all the agencies. And they passed what's called the Administrative Procedure Act uh, in 1946. The Administrative Procedure Act set forth how you're going, these agencies are going to operate, how they're going to put rules that you have to live with. Right. And if we have time in the show, we're going to get to the to the agency action where they're going to take sugar, more sugar out of the school lunch programs, added sugar and reduce it. That's a rule. And we're going to give you a concrete example of how this really works. But after the um, Administrative Agent Procedures Act, Brad, there were specific procedures set forth of how they had to publish rules, give the public an option to comment and give input on the rules. Well, it only makes sense that it had to come about. Uh, obviously, when Congress went through its authority, we went through that at the beginning of the show, uh, when they start identifying that they need somebody in an area of expertise to head up an agency to make sure that that particular activity is being properly administered, uh, it was only a matter of time before somebody would say, well, let's make it public and let's uh, have it come before Congress or come before those in power to govern over the agency and make sure the agency is doing what it's supposed to be doing and has not taken usurped its power or has not taken it too far or it that the the law or the rule it's bringing forth within its agency that becomes every bit as enforceable as any other statute. Yeah, it's incredible. All these hundreds and uh, hundreds of rules and thousands of rules and regulations. It's just like Congress passed a statute, and that's the way it is. So. Little brief reminder, here we go for a little brief summation, right? If you start and you don't like the rule, you go back to the enabling statute passed in the beginning. That's how lawyers do it. You go back to the enabling statute and you see what the powers were given to administrative agency XYZ, the one that's really making you mad or the one that's controlling your life. And can you do anything about it? Yes, you can, but you have to meet the criteria to do something about it. And we're, we're going to get to this new proposed rule for less added sugar in the diets in schools for millions of kids across the country. And how does that work? So you got the rulemaking process, and, and let's just give you a notable rule. 
Let's just talk about one right now, right? So th- there's called the net neutrality rule. We've all heard about it. What is net neutrality? Well, that's that was a rule, right? The Federal Communications Commission passed the rule in 2015, right? And they said that here's a, here's the net neutrality rule. And so internet providers uh, were prohibited from basically blocking or preferring certain customers and, and services. That rule was repealed under President Trump. But that's an example, a net neutrality rule. We're going to get to the sugar rule in a minute, especially if you have children in school. So, Brad, we've got the rulemaking process. Let's explain what the rulemaking process is. You have to give notice. You have to have public comment, et cetera. Well, right. You can't. You can't just they can't just go off and say here we're going to put a, a a rule in effect. They have to give notice of the proposed rulemaking. Well, like the sugar rule, take that one. They can't just pass the rule and say this is the new rule. Well, yeah, and you know I, I I laugh a little bit at the sugar rule because I don't think they've been able to figure out how much sugar we should or shouldn't have ever. Well, and, we can't we can't figure that out for ourselves. Exactly, and they keep right. changing it. And I know when I go to the to the pantry at night. Yeah, or when I go to the uh, no, you better not be doing that because the co- the the commission is going to get you. Right, they probably will. And, or when I go to the freezer after after dinner and start pulling out the ice cream, I do not even try to think about how much sugar I'm giving my kids and I'm giving myself, and and, and I'm probably <laughs> breaking a lot of rules. And uh, you know, I'm just hoping the school is if they're going overboard, they're going overboard to give them too little sugar so I can give them the extra sugar when they're at home. So when they come up and they come home and they're all wired up and all the kids are all wired up and you think well nobody complied with that rule today but let's go back to the rule well and just a little sideline i've wondered many times if the rule to give less and less sugar to kids in school is actually coming from the teachers who have to t- have to teach them because the last thing they want is a bunch of wired up kids after lunch exactly. who just got plastered with a bunch of sugar right exactly so, so okay but back to the, the the sugar rule so the administrative procedure act kindly made a procedure on kind of it did that you can't just helter skelter you know we publish the rule you have to follow the procedure so brad you were talking about you got to give notice well you got to give notice of the proposed rulemaking and then there's time for public comment there's a public comment period uh that can be uh let's say and i I think the basic time period you're talking 30 to 90 days you're going to have the the public comment period where people are going to be able to come in and say what they think of the the proposed rule uh you are going to have a lot of more people uh uh, making comment concerning the proposed rule than you would think. Now, you can take even the smallest of issues and you will find there's literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people and groups and, and, and organizations who are on one side or the other side of what the proposed rule is. Uh, then after that, you're going to get an analysis of the comments. Uh, the agency reviews and analyzes the comments it receives, and then it's going to publish its final rule um, that it, it's going to give. Now, all this is still subject to oversight by the Congress. And by the courts and, and by, by the, the president. Courts and by the president. Um, and then, and so they can step in at any given time. Obviously, if they're doing it later on, and there's already a, a decision of a final rule, or the or the comments have been analyzed, they're probably placing themselves into Congress or the courts or the president into a, a, a harder uh, battle to get the what they want. But um, and then eventually, you're going to get compliance and enforcement. And these things are being passed every single day. It's not just a matter of, of, well, you know, once every six months there's a new law or a new rule. We get new rules every single day. 
Exactly. So you, you, you publish the rule, you get comments from the public. And so, yes, you can object. Yes, you can give comments, right? Yes, you can. And you should. Uh, and, and we're talking about the sugar rule today because that's in the, in the news. They're publishing it. There's a 60-day comment period on the reduced sugar in schools. The 60 days started on February 7th. You still have time to object. You still have time to give your input. But let's suppose somebody wants to file a lawsuit. That's when the courts come in. So what are the courts going to look at? You should know this by now from this podcast. They're going to look at what? The enabling statute. They're going to look to see if the power exercised by the administrative agency was within the description of the enabling statute. Or did they exceed their authority? So if they exceeded their authority, the rule doesn't count. We can void out the rule and, and say it's null and void. And then it goes to the next level. But yes, there's something you can do about it. But you must meet, must, must meet the criteria. Let me give you an example, right? The Affordable Care Act was passed. Whether you like it or not, it was passed. And so there were rules issued under the Affordable Care Act. That's another example. And they, they issue this rule for changing needs. And the rule is going to be effective and enforceable if it goes within the enabling statute and if it, if it, was, it comes within the powers granted under the enabling statute. There's EPA rules. You know that I'm not going to repeat them. There's immigration rules. Same thing. Immigration is a hot topic. Some people want more, more restrictions, some less. It doesn't matter. We're not a political show. But that's how you attack it. That's how you go for it, right? And so you're delegating authority to administrative agencies. But, Brad, let's talk about what can somebody do about this. And then we're going to get to the sugar rule here in just a second. But you have to be directly affected. You can't be just generally affected under the law to say, I don't like that rule. I'm not going to comply with that rule. You have to be directly affected. Well, maybe, sure. Maybe your business was taken away. Well, it's got to be, you've got to have a, a judicial uh, interest in what's being decided. And that, that, um, and that interest has to be something that's that's real and certain that uh, we can't just have people indiscriminately deciding they want to challenge this rule or that rule, or they haven't got anything better today, so they go look for a, b- a bunch of rules to challenge. They have to have a stake in the outcome. Um, you know, so uh, if you if you don't have... Uh, your your interest in in the outcome, then you probably and, and it's got to be an interest that's going to affect you. Normally, it's going right. to be one financially. It's got to be a financial interest. And normally, if you get, if you don't have that financial interest, I, and I, I'm I'm careful to say that and reluctant to say it's it's entirely financial, because there are a number of rules that at times uh, may not be financial in, involved. Uh, uh, you know, if the railroad decides it's going to put a different spur somewhere and is going to take up somebody's land, and maybe it's, the land isn't worth anything, or maybe they're even going to get compensated for more than what the land would be worth. The the person that owns the land may have a, an interest in that property that exceeds just the value of the property. Uh, so, you know, you can have all sorts of reasons, but it's got to be a reason that is real and it's certain and that it will cause Congress or the courts uh, to act. Well, if you as an individual are going to bring a lawsuit against a rule, we'll, you, we'll use the sugar one. It's not a rule yet. It's a p- proposed rule. If you're going to do it, you have to show specific harm or injury, not just that you just generally don't like it, that's the law, a specific harm or injury. Now, let's move it on. That's an individual. Can a group, Brad, can a group bring a lawsuit or an action against rules? Of course they can. The most common that we hear about all the time are environmental groups. That's the most common, but that it's not limited to that. You know, environmental groups can sue like a violation of the Clean Water Act or a violation of the uh, Pure Air Act, right? And so they can sue, groups can sue. So now we got two people. 
that can chew on a rule. You, the individual, right? You might be a mom or dad. You don't like the sugar rule, but you have to show it directly affects and harms you or directly affects or harms your child, right? Or you can be, uh, belong to a group, and then you can file a lawsuit. Brad, we even know that state governments can sue the federal agency. State of Wyoming can sue State of California, if you live in Oregon, you, your state can sue if they so desire. Maryland, doesn't matter. So states can bring an action. Well, yeah, take, take a look at when we've had fights over water. What goes on when you start having uh, agencies determining who gets what water and how the water split up or what water rights there are. And all of a sudden you see states suing, saying they're improperly interpreting a rule. I haven't seen one yet in that area where they actually go in and they start challenging the rights of any agency to make the rule, but they've, they challenge the rule itself as far as how much water different entities should get. And that's, that's a big issue nowadays in a number of states as far as how much water is going to be available. Uh, we see quite often uh, that agencies are actually the ones that are making the decision. And you, you've got to be able to understand where the power comes from. Uh, I haven't seen one in a long time, Gary, where they've come back and they've said that the agency was inappropriately formed or that Congress didn't follow the r- rules and regulations that it should have to, to make the agency or to give it its powers. But I'm sure there's one lurking out there somewhere, and sooner or later it's going to happen. Right. So, so we, now we've learned individuals can sue. Uh, you have to have the right, right criteria. Now we've learned groups can sue, and the example we used was the EPA uh, maybe suing on the Clean Water Act. And now we've learned that states in, in our country can sue the agency, can sue the government, right, on a, on a rule, uh, environmental groups and industry groups. Maybe you belong to the industry of railroads. Maybe you belong to transportation industry. And the rule affects you, directly affects you, and then, then you can bring the action. And so, but what do courts look at, all right? And so we're kind of coming to the end of our podcast here, but what do courts look at? And they look, first of all, we covered it, you know, was there a proper delegation of authority? Number one, the enabling statute. You hear lawyers talk about that all the time. The enabling statute. Next, Brad, was, was the rule-making process in compliance with the Administrative Procedure Act? Did they publish it? Did they give time? Did they give comments? Did they take it into consideration? And the, the next one is, were they being arbitrary and capricious in enforcing the rule or passing the rule? I mean, can, you have to have a basis. Uh, suppose we have um, uh, an outbreak of um, bird flu like we've got, there ha- and there's a rule passed on it. It has to be a basis for the rule, okay? So you have to go within the authority of the enabling statute. It has to be procedurally fair and meet the Administrative Procedure Act, and then you have to uh, see if they've abused their authority. Sure. And uh, what, you know, what you're going to get is you're going to get the different potential uh, standards of judicial, of judicial review that are going to apply. Um, you, you know, it, we don't have to go very far to look at it. Even with COVID, we had certain groups that were challenging whether or not the rules on COVID and getting uh, getting a shot in your arm was something that the agency could require you to do or it couldn't require you to do, or whether it, it should restrict your freedom or your ability to do things. And, uh, you know, it's the, the bottom line is, is that's just the way it is as far as sometimes these agencies are getting to get their say without much of a hearing, without much going on. Right. Now, let's get to the sugar rule real quick. We've got a new proposed rule um, by United States agricultural, agricultural officials and with the United States dietary guidelines to reduce the amount of added sugar in school meals schools uh, across the country, right? Across the entire country. And they've got all these fancy formulas about how many milligrams of this and milligrams of that. Uh, but think about this one thing. There's been arguments 
It's still, we're still within the 60-day time period for comments. There's been arguments on the sugar is that we're a rural school. We're in the country. We can't meet all your re- regulations. We don't have the ability to do it. We don't have the money to do it. Then there's a funding program that you can apply for a grant. But that's an argument. Another argument is we're downtown. We're downtown Baltimore. We're downtown Austin, Texas. We're downtown New Orleans. And, and we can't get this done because there's, it's, it, it's too difficult to meet it. We don't have the source of food. We don't have the ability to do it. We don't have the personnel to do it. And so you make your, you make your objections known. And does it make a difference? Yes, of course. It's like voting. It makes a difference. And it's like that book that was published, you know, it's a tipping point. If enough people object and enough people in the country, and we're from Wyoming, we're out in the sticks. We're from Colorado. We're out in the sticks. We're up in the mountains. We're not downtown Denver. And we, we object. We can't comply with it. So they do take that in consideration. They have to, or it becomes arbitrary and capricious. And we taught you that's one of the ways to shoot down and defeat a rule. Well, and the next question you come up to is, can you make a rule such as what they're talking about to limit or change the way sugar's provided to kids in the school or reduce the amount of sugar that's being provided? And um, what if you don't get the grant? Uh, you know, yeah, what, what right. happens if you don't do it? What happens if you don't meet the standard? And uh, what if you just can't meet it versus you don't meet it? And is it a requirement? Should it be a requirement that before one of these agencies can pass a rule that's going to affect something like that, where all the schools throughout the nation have to change their school lunch or their free meal program, because a lot of this is free meals also, if they have to change that, uh, should the agency also have to have, in essence, a statute or a provision in it on where the money's going to come from to do it? Exactly. And here's a group. Think about sugar substitutes. There's an entire group now that's objected to the new sugar rule. See, this is a rulemaking process that, that, that say sugar st- substitutes given to children. There's been no studies or even proof or facts to say those are even safe to be given to children. So we're objecting. This group is objecting. That's the process. That's the process under the Administrative Procedure Act. And then you wonder how far do we go? Because next is going to be sodium, because we're going to have to talk about sodium at some point. We're going to have to talk about what's in each meal and how it affects children, how it affects individuals. Then we can start having how it affects groups. So sometimes there has to be some way to curtail what's going on with different agencies. So you as the individual have power to do it. Your group can do it. But well, you have to have specific harm, Brad. Well, and we, we don't have time to go through it, but that's where you have the, the Chevron deference, you have the arbitrary and capricious standard, and you have the substantial evidence rule, which are standards of judicial review uh, with respect to some of the actions these agencies take. So what you mean by that, if somebody challenges and goes to court, there are standards the judges and the courts use to determine if the rule is valid. You bet. All right, let's get to the fun part of our show. We're going to talk about the American idiom of the day. We do this every week. We're glad to do it. And before we do that, if you want to contact us, you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, that's info, at legalanatomy.net. That's info at legalanatomy.net. We'd love to hear from you. And so, Brad, let's get to the American idiom of the day. What do we got? Well, you know, my idiom for the day may be showing a little bit of my belief in some of the stuff we're talking about with some oh, of these Oh, no, rules. we can't have that. And um, it's, it's an old one, but, you know, and it, depending on how you say it, it can have a different meaning. Oh, it's an oldie but, but goodie, but, but it's, it's going to be controversial. A, a, I got it. Of, for goodness sakes. What? You know, for goodness sake. 
uh, and, and <laughs> you know, sake. you can either say for goodness sake or for goodness sake. And it's something normally that one says when one is frustrated or in a state of disbelief. And sometimes these agencies make you frustrated, frustrated. or in a state <laughs> of disbelief. For goodness sake. Wait a minute. Doesn't that go with one you covered a while back but for crying out loud? It is. For and, crying out loud and for goodness sake. And in response, I think the, the, the agencies can look and say fortune favors the bold. And that's it, you know, take, taking risks can lead to success. Wasn't that on a cryptocurrency ad sometime, a Super Bowl or two ago? See, isn't it amazing how all these old, old idioms just come right back they, on, on a regular basis? They get, they get put into marketing. How does that yeah. work? On cryptocurrency, we could also say fork out or shell out the money. Because fork out or, yeah, yeah, or, or crying, crying, yeah. crying, whatever. Crying. All right, I got the quote of the day. It's from Winston Churchill. He says, he said... Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. You think about that. You're listening to the legal anatomy of current events. We're so glad to do this show. We're out of Denver, Colorado. Our law firm is Bell and Pollock. You can look us up at championsofthepeople.com. If you're interested, you can email us at info at legalanatomy.net, info at legalanatomy.net anytime. We're here to anatomize your mind have you break down these issues to their components, give you the information so you can be educated and you can make up your own mind. We will see you next week.